It's good to see all of y'all here. And I don't know what it's been been the last couple of weeks, but every time I go to sing, my voice starts to go out. You think it's this? Screaming on pitch. Um, but there's this quote that I ran across um, in the last couple of weeks that I want to read to you. Is that okay? It doesn't matter. I have the microphone. I'm going to do what I want. Uh, here's the quote that I came across. I don't know who wrote it, so don't ask me. All right? I just happened to read it. But it says, whenever a dream gets shattered, find shelter in the presence of God. For his presence changes impossibilities into possibilities. Read it again. Whenever a dream gets shattered, find shelter in the presence of God. For his presence, nobody else's, no amount of work, but his presence changes impossibilities into possibilities. Is there there something that seems impossible in your life right now that you're praying that God makes possible? Like if if I could share some of the stories the last couple weeks, you'd you'd be like, that's not real, Derek. You with me? Like even one that was told to me this morning. God makes what seems impossible possible when we enter his presence. Everything changes when we enter into the presence of Jesus. Everything changes when we find rest in him. Everything changes when we trust in his work. Everything changes when we encounter the one who counters darkness. You got darkness in your life? You got darkness in your relationships? You got darkness wherever darkness may be dwelling right now? Guess what? We have one who counters that darkness. In fact, he is living inside of you, and with that power inside of you, you can push back the darkness that's in your life. Addictions can be broken. Marriages can be restored in the presence of Jesus. Healing can happen in the presence of Jesus. Heartache and shame can be healed in the presence of Jesus. When we encounter him, everything changes. And if nothing changes, guess what? It's not him, it's you. You need to check yourself. You with me? Some of us as uh, need to check your heart. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't leave the table unchanged and unfull. All our satisfaction, this isn't even in here, all of our satisfaction is in him. Nothing else. You're not going to find it in your husband or wife. You're not going to find it in your kids. You're not going to find it in your job. You with me? Only satisfaction happens in the presence of our king. We are trying to fill ourselves up with so much other stuff. You with me? We're trying to fill ourselves up with so much other stuff that we're losing track of our what Revelation says is our first love. And you know what he says about it when we lose our first love? That he's ready to spit us out of his mouth. I know your works, and those works are good. But you become lukewarm. Because I'm ready to spit you out. It's God saying, I'd rather you be against me than say that you're for me and not act like it. You with me? I'm sorry I'm getting a little sidetracked already, but it's just what it is. I'm tired of mediocre Christianity. You with me? I'm tired of myself and the, those that I love not living and walking in the power that God clearly says is ours. The very steps that we take, the Bible says, we own that land because he is our king. It's up to us just to take it. 
Anyways, I'm going to get back to this. When we enter the presence of Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, it changes how we walk. I guess it does tie in. It changes how we walk, how we talk, how we live, how we dream, how we vision. It changes everything. It changes addictions. It changes graveyards. It changes you know, everything that his life touches. It changes. And if, it does, if nothing's changing in your life, guess what? You're probably not walking in the light. We're, we're going to look at chapter 2 of Mark today. We're looking at chapter 2 of Mark today and where there are three different examples of how our lives can be changed when we are in the presence of Jesus, when we encounter Jesus. But my question is, do you really, do you really, do you really want your life to be changed? Do you? Do you want to walk differently? Do you want to walk with boldness? And all it takes is faith, faith in the kingdom. Mark, chapter 2, starts off with saying this. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news quickly spread that he was back in town. Okay? The news, it's like a small town around here, you know. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows everything that you've ever done. All right? Soon there were so many people crowded inside the house to hear him that there was no more room even outside the door. While Jesus was preaching the word of God, Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. First, first thing I want to point out, because I know we've covered this story a bunch. It's one of my favorite stories. We've covered this story, but one, one point that we never pointed out that I want to make sure we know is the drawing factor of the crowd was nothing more than the presence of Jesus. You with me? They heard that he was in town, and they came running. Dragon with me? Go back to verse 2. I didn't, put, I didn't put a note in here and it's fine. Whatever. Um, here in a minute, have John 12.32 pulled up. First, I want to point out that the drawing factor of the crowd was nothing more than the presence of Jesus. They heard he was there and they flocked to see him because the drawing fa- factor must be Jesus. The drawing factor must Always be Jesus. See, John 12, 32 says, says this, And when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. When I am lifted up. When my name is lifted up, that is what draws people in. We have nothing to offer. Like We have nothing to offer our friends and our family members who are dying and going to hell. We have nothing to offer in and of ourselves. All we have is Jesus. All we have is Jesus. He is the only one that has the power to save. We have nothing else to bring life except Jesus. What draws people is not what we are doing, but, but who we are doing it for. It's the who, not the what. You with me? We can have fancy lights or have no fancy lights. We can have a rocking band or have no rocking band. It doesn't matter. It's not about what we do. It's about who we're doing it for. If his name is lifted up, he will draw all men into himself. And for us to be a house of encounter, we must constantly lift him up. 
we have to usher in the presence of Jesus, not the presence of us. It's not about our comfort or our wants. Or, and really, it's not really about our needs. It's about him being lifted up. If we're lifting anything else up. It's worthless. It's worthless. But it, this, it leads to this. It leads to this. We should draw people to our lives because the presence of Jesus is within us. We should draw people into our lives where we live, work, and play with, not because we're cool, not because we have some, we're wordsmiths and can talk really good. No, no. We draw people in because, our, because the presence of Jesus is within us. I've said this several times. The people at your work don't hate you because you're a Christian. They hate you because you're annoying. You with me? Tracking with me? Because I don't know about the, I, this story clearly says that people were drawn to Jesus. And with Jesus' light in us, they should be drawn to us. Okay, so check yourself. That's why Matthew, Jesus, in Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, so don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things that you do will shine as light upon them, and then they will give their praise, not to you, but to the Father in heaven. It's not about you. Breathe. You with me? It's all about him. All about him. Mark 2, verse 3 starts off. It says, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. But when they realized that they couldn't even get near him because of the crowd, they went up on top of the house and tore away the roof because Jesus, because Jesus, roof above Jesus' head. And when they had broken through, they lowered the paralyzed man on a stretcher right down in front of him. Right down in front of him. His friends knew if they could get him in the presence of Jesus, if they could get him just in front of Jesus, he would have an encounter that would forever change his life. You with me? So they, they dug through the roof of somebody's house. You with me? So my question is, what crazy thing have you done to get those people that you live, work, and play with in the presence of Jesus? Or are you too scared of what it may look like on you? You with me? Well, Derek, I might lose my job. Well, lose your freaking job. You with me? That's why when they first hired me at Knox County, I said, you better just get used to me talking to people about Jesus because that's what I'm going to do. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, I'll talk about your, here's your 10 steps of whatever. I'm going to do that. But I, that may be put a Band-Aid on stuff, and I'm, I'm over Band-Aid Christianity. Let's heal the wound. And that wound is sin. That's a whole other story. What crazy thing are you doing or willing to do to get those you live, work, and play with in the presence of Jesus? What are you doing to help those you live, work, and play with have an encounter with him? Or are you just doing your job? Or are you just playing with your kids? Or are you just taking them to the ball game? What are you doing to usher people into the presence of the king? I'm going to tell you what you should be doing. What we need to be doing is this, is that we need to do whatever we can short of sin to get people in front of Christ. And I put that in the notes section because I want you to write that down. We need to do whatever we can short of sin to get people in front of Christ. Whatever. Even if that makes you look foolish. Whatever you can. Secondly is this, and it's most important. Before you can get people into the presence of Jesus, what are you doing that's maybe crazy 
to get yourself in the presence of Jesus or get Jesus to encounter Jesus on this journey of your life? Are you willing to leave that comfort zone that you found yourself in? Are you? What are you doing to usher the presence of Jesus into your own journey? And I'm not, again, talking about band-aids over wounds. I'm talking about the real thing. Like, I'm not looking just to mask or cover up the darkness that's in my life. I want it eradicated. That's, that's all these fancy wordsmiths who have these fancy phrases trying to make you feel better. Listen, I'm over that. In fact, there's a song. Listen, I'm over counterfeit Jesus. You with me? I'm over emotionalism. I'm over whatever you want to call it. I want the real dirty thing. There's a song by one of my favorite groups, Johnny Swim. I don't know if you ever know, but if you know me, listen to them. Listen to them. They're incredible. They're, they're, I mean, they are Christian people, but they're not like, they don't do, anyways, it's a whole new story. Him and another group got together, and one of the lines, there's a song called Ring the Bell. And one of my favorite lines in that song, it says, give me back my Jesus, take your counterfeit to hell. That's where I am. I want the real thing. I don't want this counterfeit band-aid Christianity. I want the real, the real, real. Mark 2.5 goes on to say this. Says, when Jesus saw the extent of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, says, if, we j- like if we had just enough faith to step out of our comfort zone to leave people, well, what a- we would turn this world upside down. Christians have stayed silent for too long. I'm not talking about going fighting political battles. I'm not talking any of that, which maybe God's calling you to do that. I don't know. Um, we have stayed silent for too long. We have allowed our faith to, we've stepped our faith back instead of being on the forefront. Like, you know, like, this, that's, like what's going on in the world right now, our faith can cure. You with me? It doesn't matter who's in office and who's not, who's the next one in office, who's not. It doesn't matter because Jesus is on his throne and miracles can still happen and healing can still happen. Because when Jesus saw the extent of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are now forgiven. Your sins are now forgiven. That, and this is what we're about to read in a minute. That freaks the religious leaders out. Like they flip out. But here's the thing. I, there's this author, and his name's Warren Wiersbe. He wrote this about this quote, about this passage. He says, the forgiveness of sin is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed. He's turned sinner to saint. I mean, how many times have you done so much good that you screw up once and you feel horrible about your life? You with me? Forgiveness of sin is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. It brings the greatest blessing and has the most lasting results. If, a, if the miracle of salvation is the only thing Jesus ever does for you, then it's worth praising him about. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament. We're going to read some stuff here in a minute from Hebrews and stuff but we couldn't meet the standard. And Jesus came to be that standard on our behalf. He fulfilled everything in the law that we were supposed to to receive salvation in him. If the miracle of salvation is the only thing Jesus ever does for you, then it is worth praising his name. But here's the thing. He wants to do so much more than just that in your life. You with me? Like Like he's begging you to allow him to do some more. You know how I know that? So cool, cool story. Mark 2, 6. This offended, and let me just say this. There's, there's an offense that comes at you, but you choose to be offended. You with me? 
taking that back. So if you're one of those that gets offended at everything that's ever said, you choose to be offended. You with me? This offended some of the religious scholars who were, who were, who were present. And they, they reasoned among themselves, who does he think he is to speak this way? This is blasphemy for sure. Only God himself can forgive sins. Well, maybe he's trying to tell them something. You with me? And <laughs> I love it. This is Jesus talking right here. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are now forgiven or stand up and walk? He wants to do the hard thing first because it's hard to prove somebody's sins are forgiven. It's easy to say stand up and walk because they can stand up and walk. He wants to prove the hard thing first. You with me? But to convince you that the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins, I say, this, I say to this man, stand up, pick up your stretcher, and walk home. And immediately, the man sprang to his feet in front of everyone and left for home. And left for home. One encounter with Jesus, he experiences spiritual and physical healing. Spiritual salvation, and physical healing. Jesus has the authority to give salvation and healing here this morning. Has the authority to give salvation and healing here this morning. And the question is, are you ready or are you willing to be in the presence of Jesus? Are you ready? We can say we're hungry all day long, but are you hungry? Are you starving? this. Mark 2, 12. Immediately, the man sprang up to his feet in front of everyone and left for home. When the crowds witnessed this miracle, they were awestruck. They shouted praises to God and said, we've never seen anything like this. I'm ready for this to be a year full of things that have never been. I've never seen anything like this before. Jesus went out. Oh, go back. It's fine. Go back. Have we been in the presence of Jesus to the point where those around us cannot deny that God is doing something? Have we been so much in the presence of God that God that people around us go, I don't know what's going on, but I want a, I want a piece of that. He is transforming lives. And if he's transforming lives, it will look, our lives will look different. Our lives will look different. Verse 13 goes on to say this. Jesus went out to walk near Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd gathered again because people are attracted to Jesus. Jesus went out to walk near the Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd uh, gathered, so he taught them. As he walked along, along, he found Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, collecting taxes. He approached him and said, Come, follow me. And immediately he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. And I want you to notice something here. As Jesus calls his disciples, what do they do? When, they, when he says, come, do this, they immediately, they don't have to sit there and pray about it. You know I, mean? I think we, sometimes we pray too much about things that God is telling us to go ahead and do. You with me? I'm not telling you not to pray. I'm just telling you, we're using prayer as an excuse not to do. You with me? As he walked along, he found Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, collecting taxes. He approached him and said, come follow me. And immediately he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. Later, Jesus, Jesus and his disciples went to have a meal with Levi. Among the guests in Levi's home were many tax collectors 
and notable sinners. And I love just to point out, when every time the Bible talks about sinners and sinners, they always separate tax collectors for a reason. That's because they were known as the despicable ones, the one, the traitors. They're working for the enemy. You with me? So among, among the guests, Levi's home were, were many tax collectors and notable sinners sharing a meal with Jesus where there were many kinds of people who followed him. It means we don't have to all look the same and be the same. You are your unique person. You with me? Like you are uniquely you. Uniquely you. Okay? When the religious scholars and the Pharisees found out that Jesus was keeping company, and dining with the sinners and tax collectors, they were indignant. So they approached Jesus' disciples and said to them, why is, is that someone, why is it that someone like Jesus defiles himself by eating with sinners and tax collectors? <laughs> when Jesus overheard their complaint, he said to them, who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick? I have not come to call the righteous. Oh, i got to put that in the parentheses but to call those who are sinners and bring them to repentance and bring them to repentance. I love, I love this thing, this, this idea that God is not, Christ is not confined by religious dogma. He's not confined by religious rules of who he can and can't interact with or associate with or what he can and can't do. Like Sarah said earlier, I think too often... We put Jesus in a box. See, there's a story. I'm like, I didn't put it in here, but there's a story in Matthew 22 where Jesus tells a story about a king preparing a feast and nobody he originally invites comes. So what does he do? He has his servants go get the undesirables, the unclean. And it's a picture that all are welcome to the feast. All are welcomed to the feast. But this tells us like, it is okay to not be okay. It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. You with me? I want you to write that down. It's, it is okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay there. Like you, The fact is you can't come to the feast. You can't leave his presence unchanged. And you have an invitation. Right now, you have an invitation as you are to sit at the table and feast on his goodness. And feast on his goodness. But no, it will change you. It will change you. Addictions will be broken. Lifestyles must be changed. You can take that in whatever direction you want to. Either way, it has to be changed. You with me? You are welcome at the table of Jesus, and it will change you. In fact, this is what this tells us, is that it tells us that no matter how far gone you feel, you have a place at the table. No matter how screwed up you feel, this is the, that's the whole point of the story of the prodigal son. Like, the story's not about the son at all. It's about the father. The son who takes whatever it was supposedly his when his father was supposed to die, he plunders it. You with me? He plunders it. And he's like, man, if I can just go back and be a slave to my father, but all along the father's standing on his porch with more. Because when the father sees him coming back, what does he do? He runs to him. 
places a coat over his shoulder, places a ring on his finger, puts new sandals on his feet. Whenever we waste whatever God gives us, guess what? He still has more to give us. And he welcomes his son back to the table. In fact, he has a feast just for him. The story's about the love of the father, not the son. You with me? And that son's life is forever changed. And he wants to change your life. He wants, he wants, he wants that addiction broken. He wants that lifestyle changed. He wants that marriage restored. He wants, he, he wants that shame gone. He wants that guilt gone. He wants that whatever it is, whatever darkness is in your life, he wants it to change. And he has the authority to heal it. Has the authority to heal it. You are welcome at the table. That, this kind of reminds me this week. Some of us, let me say this, let me say this. See, some of us think, man, if I can just do, if I can just do enough good, the Father will be proud of me. Right? And, we've, and we convince ourselves that we are good, good people. But what defines good? Really? This week, you know, I don't know if you know Tony Fairbanks. He play, comes and plays drums sometimes. He, there's a girl in his class um, that was wearing a sweater that said, um, that's Overfill Heaven. Overfill Heaven or something. I don't know, did he tell you the story? It was like Overfill Heaven or um, Rush Heaven or something. And it sparked a conversation in his class. And I'm kind of proud of Tony a little bit on this one. Um, and sparked a conversation. And, and Tony asked the question, do you guys believe that good people go to heaven? It sparked this interesting conversation in math class. You with me? Which if I was in that class, I'd be like, thank God I'm not doing math. You know what I'm saying? But it sparked this conversation about who's welcome. Because heaven is not filled with good people. It's filled with redeemed and rescued people. In fact, it's filled with crazy. You with me? It's filled with people who couldn't meet the standard. I asked Tony how far he got into the conversation. He goes, I kind of got it started, and I just sit back and watched everybody. It's like, dude. You know what I'm saying? Lyric, it was actually Lyric's class that I had a conversation with, so I was more kind of be like, hey, Lyric, what did you say? See if, she was, <laughs> see if it was good. Here's the thing. No matter how good that prodigal son would have been, it would have never changed the greatness of his father's love. Heaven is not filled with good people who do good things. In fact, there's a lot of good people in hell. You need the Father's love to redeem you and restore you. But you're welcome at the table as you are, but you can't stand up the same. You with me? Mark 2.18 goes on to say one time. If you notice how like Mark's gospel is just like, if there's like this urgency to get to the next story. You know, love it. One time, the disciples of John, John the baptizer and the Pharisees were fasting. So they came to Jesus and asked, why is it that John's disciple, disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not? And Jesus answered, how can the sons of a, of, of the bri- sons of a bridal chamber fast when the bridegroom is next to them? As long as, they, as, long as the bridegroom is with them, they, they won't. But the days of fasting will come when the bridegroom is taken from them. 
and when and when and who when men worn out clothing with with new fabrics when when the new clothes shrink it will rip making the tear worse than before and who would pour fresh new wine into old wineskins eventually the wine will ferment and make the wine wineskins burst losing everything the wine will be be spilled and the wineskins ruined instead new wine is always poured into new wineskins you can't get the new while stuck in the old. You with me? Now, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from this second just, and just to say, I'm not talking about we need to change true and lasting doctrine. But maybe the things that we have been taught our whole lives, what if, what if, what if that's not the real thing? What if that is just rules that Jesus never taught or maybe misrepresented Maybe he wants to do something fresh in you, but you're still holding on to some of those things that aren't really of God. They're not bad things, but they're not God things. You with me? If you want a fresh outpouring of his spirit, we may need a renewing of our minds and a renewing of our hearts. God is wanting to give you something new, but he can't while you're in your old mindset. And His presence should change your heart, mind, and soul. That's why the verse says, the renewing of the mind that renews the heart. And will eventually, because what you do, in, what's in your heart, you'll, will come out of your mouth and be in your actions. You with me? But he goes on to say this in Mark 2.23. One Saturday on the day of rest, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field of wheat. The disciples were hungry. So they, they plucked off some heads of grain to eat. But when some of the Pharisees saw what was happening, they said to him, Look, your disciples shouldn't be harvesting grain on the Sabbath. And I, if I was Jesus, I'd have been like, Really? They tore a head of it off and took a bite. Like, it's not really harvesting, but you're, you're, just, you're just reaching now. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to get something. Haven't, and Jesus replied, Haven't you ever heard, haven't you ever read that King David and his men? Uh, King David and his men did when they were hungry. They entered the house of God, of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the sacred bread of God's presence. They violated the law by eating bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. But there is one here who is even greater than the temple. Ooh, ooh! I could just see the religious leaders' faces getting red. Like, don't be talking about my temple, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for the sake of people and not people for the Sabbath. And not people for the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees didn't see the law as something to warn them about their sin. They looked at the law as the means of saving themselves. They were working instead of resting in the Lord. And so this is why Paul wrote to us in Romans 7 when he says this. He said, so did something meant to be good become death to me? So did something good meant to be, did something that meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked 
uh, it was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. This is them saying the law was really there to show us where we sin and how we couldn't meet up. It unmasked, it, sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. And it is dirty. And it is nasty. Even our righteous acts are filthy rags in the eyes of God. Your good works are not good enough. For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm, but I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin. The law was put into place to show us how we don't meet the standard. But we had this promise that there would be a new covenant coming, a new law. And that law was Jesus. Like he is the law. That's why Hebrews chapter 8 says, But now Jesus the Messiah has, uh, has, has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs. Since he is the catalyst of, of a better covenant which contains far more wonderful promises. For it, for it, for if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. Tracking with me? You're not bound by the law. You're bound by the blood. But God revealed the, def the deficit and, and limitations of the first when he said to his people, Look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by my hand out of Egypt. For they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them, says the Lord. For here is the here for here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my laws within their thoughts and fasten them onto their hearts, and I will be their I, and I will be their loyal God, and they will be my loyal people. And the result of this will be that everyone will know me as Lord. There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, "You should know the Lord Jehovah," since everyone will know me inwardly from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. So no matter how low you feel like on the totem pole, he is your Lord. No matter how high and ritzy you think you are, he is your Lord. It's your choice to follow him. That's what I, that's what I love. Like, for those who are like totally against Jesus, totally against Christianity, you'll get, the funny thing is, Jesus is still their Lord. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? He still has, like, one day you will still stand before your Lord. He ain't my president. Yes, he is. He is your Lord. You with me? Like, no question. This cracks me up. <laughs> For I will demonstrate my, my mercy to them and, I, and will forgive their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. And here's why this was such great news. Why this new covenant that Hebrews is pulling out and the writer of Hebrews is pulling out is this because that means they're not going to have to go they're not going to have to go year in, year out, month in, month out to make a sacrifice for their sins. He's saying, I will forever forgive them of their sin. So the sin that you're going to commit here in about five minutes when we leave, guess what? 
it's already forgiven. forgiven. The reason you ask for forgiveness in prayer really is for you to forgive yourself because it's already forgiven. This proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete, ready to expire, and about to disappear. The old covenant of doing is over with. It's about being. It's about resting. It's about Sabbath. Resting in the Lord. So how, how does all this tie in? How, why is, how does this tie in? Here's how it ties in. When Jesus says that he is Lord over the Sabbath, he is saying he is above the law. Because he is the law. Including additional rules and re- the religious leaders have put on them above the original intent of that law. And then secondly this, is that since he is Lord of the Sabbath, our rest is in Christ alone. Our rest is in Christ alone. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our rest. We can rest in his work, rest in his anointing, rest in his grace, rest in his mercy. And to understand this, this is why Jesus said that Sabbath, that man was not made for Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. Meaning the Sabbath was put in place for a man to reflect and rest in the goodness of God. Not the other way around. It wasn't some rule to follow to get you in a better place with Jesus, with God. With God, it was put into place so you can reflect on how good He has been on you. You with me? Just as God rested and reflected on His creation, we are called to take time to rest in Him and reflect on Him. He is our rest. He is our rest. So my question is this, are you resting in in Him or are you trying to work to impress Him? Jesus is our rest. He is our rest. That means all the striving you're doing, how stressed out you're you're getting because you you don't feel like you're measuring up and that you're not good enough. Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't measure up and you're not good enough, but he is good enough for you just to sit in. Yesterday, I got a... Jax has been sick. He's not like like throwing up sick, but he's had 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 a cough and drainage and he just hadn't felt... Yesterday he took like a five-hour nap, right? Which he, if you know Jax, he never does. You with me? He's like a 100, like 100 percent of the time. Like I don't know how many times I've had to go go back to bed at like one o'clock in the morning because he's still like, you know, going 100 miles an hour. And he takes a nap and he wakes up and he comes lays with me on the couch. And it was funny. He said, "Dad, I'm not going to breathe in your face." I said, "Thank you." But as I'm cuddling in. Resting in the arms of his father. He felt better in the arms of his father. Jax doesn't have to do anything to earn my love. Zane doesn't have to do anything to earn my love. Lyric doesn't have to do anything to earn my love. Hayden doesn't have to do anything to earn my love. Brittany does a little bit, but that's another story. There's a lot she has to do. Ronnie knows what I'm talking about. My kids don't have to do anything to earn my love. In fact, no matter how 
screwed up their life might get, guess what? They can still come and rest in their father's house. There might be some rules. Not bringing that junk in my house, you know what I'm saying? No matter how far they come, the father will always love them. And they can rest in it. They can know that they will, they will be fed, they will be clothed, whatever they need their father having. They don't have to work for it. And why, why? We know that about our own kids. And Jesus calls himself the, the, a better father, a greater father. Why do we try to have our relationship with our Heavenly Father any differently? We can rest. We can turn our swords into plowshares. We can rest in the Father's arms. That prodigal son, he didn't have to do anything when he got back home. All he had to do was sit at the table and eat. This guy being placed at the foot of Jesus, he didn't have to do anything except for lay there and rest in the encounter. Jesus has done and will do all the work for your life. He has not only the authority, but the power to do so. Just like a kid crawling in his, in his daddy's lap, he knows that he is protected by his father. Really? God, I want to thank you so much that you, our rest is in you. That we can rest in the fact that you have done everything to make us whole. It doesn't free us from trying to do right, but it frees us from having to worry about worry about trying to meet your standard. Because in your presence, in your presence in us, we meet the standard through Jesus, the blood on the cross. God, my prayer is that we rest in the authority and the power of your name, that whatever darkness is in our life, you will restore God, I thank you for the cross. If the cross is the only thing that you ever do for me, may I rest in that. May I rest in the shadow of the cross, knowing my sins are forgiven. And I pray this name.